you for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. During this series, we are looking at um, values that will make up who we are as a church, that will lead us as we continue to move forward to build until it's finished. And last week, we looked at um, a concept called One More. And that's, you know, a different way to talk about evangelism because we believe that the heart of God is all about one more. We looked at the lost sheep and I challenge you to have one more conversation, to see one more prayer answered, to have one more cup of coffee, maybe one more opportunity for someone to come to Christ because there's always room for one more. And that's what we talked about last week. And um, this week, I want to talk to you about irrational generosity, irrational generosity. Let's pray one more time. Uh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're already here. We thank you that we've experienced your presence and your power this morning. And so, God, I ask that as we spend the next few moments in your word together, that your word would sink down deep into our heart, that it would take root, it would challenge us, it would change us, and that when we leave today, we are different because of our encounter with you. God, speak to us. Speak to each and every one of us this morning. Open our hearts and our ears so that we would be willing to hear exactly what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I have two kids. And every now and then, and and if you have kids, you understand this, or grandkids, you you get this probably even more. Every now and then, um, you like to enjoy your own snack, I don't know if this happens. I really enjoy popcorn. If I pop a bag of popcorn in my house, I always have to share that. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I want the whole bag. It's mine. I popped it. But you hear the noise, you smell it, and the kids come from wherever they are, and then they want to cuddle you and sit on your lap and eat your popcorn. Um, But every now and then, like, I'll have a snack, and I just try to eat it quickly. Sometimes I don't sit down with the snack. Sometimes I stay, like, right by the cabinet and eat it really quickly so that if they say, hey, what do you got? I can always turn around and say, nothing. (laughs) I don't don't have anything. And oftentimes, when when they were littler, this worked a lot better uh, because they would sometimes take me out my word, and then they would say, well, you have something behind your back. No, 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 I don't, I don't have anything at all. Let me see the other hand. Oh, yeah, I don't have anything. I got nothing. Let me see both hands. Both hands. That's, that's how we do it. Until they can pry my hand open, I stuck with I don't have anything. And maybe you can't identify with that, but what if someone asked you for your last piece of bubble gum? Some of us, I, I don't have any more. Because I don't know what it is, there's something about your pack of gum having the last piece of that pack of gum. You pick that gum out. That's your favorite gum. No, I'm not trying to give it to you. You only get my kids, man, they used to chew gum and then swallow it really quick. I don't want to waste my gum on them. But some of us, like if someone asks for our favorite piece of gum, no, 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 I don't I don't have any, I don't have any more. Because you are planning in your mind of how best to enjoy that last piece. Sometimes people will ask to borrow money or they'll ask you for money and, and you simply respond, man, I, I, don't, I don't have anything. And the truth is you may have something, but in that moment you're not willing to let go whatever it is that you have. In all those different examples, the simple truth remains that sometimes we have it, we're just not willing to let go of it. Even when it's God asking for it. There are times that I know that God will ask me to give him things and 
I want to be generous. But sometimes it hurts. Sometimes I don't understand, God, why you would ask me to give. And, and I, don't, I don't want to be looked at as someone who's not willing to give what God has asked. But sometimes I just tell God, like, I just got this. I just, I've been praying for, for a raise. I've been, I've been praying for something. And then God asked me to give the difference in the raise. Sometimes God will ask us, and the, the struggle that we have internally is, well, God, if I give it, would they, they're probably not going to use it right. I shouldn't give it to that person. You know, you gifted it to me, and so I, I want to make sure that it's used correctly. I, I need that, God. I, I can handle it better than they can. God still is asking us at different times to give, and, and sometimes we're just telling them, like, man, I, no, it doesn't make sense. God, you're asking me to be generous, and I don't have much at all anyways. How can you ask me to give when I feel like I don't have much at all? And I think that every now and then, the part of it not making sense is the point. The more I look at who God is, the more I read his word, the more I see his experiences with us, he does things that does not make human sense. There may just be some truth to the fact that his ways are not my ways, that his thoughts are not my thoughts. And when we talk about irrational generosity, we begin with, with two separate words that we bring together because irrational means that it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And again, as I look at the heart and who God is, he picks people that no one else would pick. And he asks them to do things that makes absolutely no sense for them to do it. And not only does he ask them to do it, like you and I, he does it with us. He does it for us. He does it through us. It's crazy. And then when you begin to think about his love that doesn't end, it doesn't get tired, it always pursues, it always plans on catching us, his love that pursues us, even when we say no for the slight chance that there's a hopeful yes. It doesn't make any sense. But yet I find that my sense isn't always God's sense. And then when we look at generosity, we see the, the readiness or freedom in giving. And as we put those words together, we have a freedom in giving at times that doesn't make sense. And I believe that that's who God is asking us to be. Because when I begin to be generous and have irrational generosity inside of my heart, it actually makes me more like God. You want to know why it's so hard to give sometimes? Because the enemy knows that if you begin to give, and your heart will begin to be more like God's heart. We can look at the most famous verse in Scripture, John 3, 16. God loved the world that he did what? He and as we begin to give, if we allow irrational generosity to take root in our heart, the enemy knows that we will become more like God. And that's why at times it is so hard for us to give, for us to be generous, for us to look at things differently than how everybody else does. Today is, is going to be a challenge for a lot of us. And that's okay. Because I believe this, that if we allow God to challenge us, that he can change us. And ultimately, that's what it is. It's allowing my heart to become like God's heart. It's allowing um, him to do a work in me so that I can become who he has created me to be. So I want to start with this question. How do you handle what you have? How do you handle what you have? Now, I'm, I'm not talking about budgeting. I'm not talking about the spreadsheets that you have set up. It boils down to this. Whose is it? Whose is it? Am, 
am I an owner of what I have in my hands or am I a manager of what I have in my hands? How do I handle the resources that God has placed in these hands? Do I look at it like it's mine, I earned it, I'm self-made, or do I look at it from the perspective that God has placed it in my hands and I'm to steward it well? If you're a follower of Christ, I will tell you this. The answer is clear. You don't have to wonder here. I'm going to help you. If you're a follower of Christ, we are stewards of what God has placed in our hands. Over and over again, we see Scripture tell us that we are the managers of what God has placed in our hands. And the more faithfulness we show, the more things God places in our hands. And this is where the heart of giving starts. It starts in this very place. As a follower of Christ, can I return to God what he has already given me? That's what tithing is. Tithing is about returning to God what he's already placed in my hands. It was his all along. Let me show you what Malachi says. Malachi 3 puts it like this. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. This thought of tithing is something that's very serious to God. This concept of being a manager is something that he takes seriously. Look at the words that he gave the prophet Malachi to say. Am I going to rob God? Most of us would never answer that question, sure, sure, I would rob God. When you put it that way, and then this is the only area in Scripture that God says to test him. This is it. Here's here's why I believe that. I believe that Jesus talked more about giving and money than he did about heaven and hell. Because most of us can't get past our wallet to get to our heart. And he wants to tell you, look, I know that this might be a struggle. I know that some of you might find your identity here, your security here. I get that. But if you will test me in this area, if you will try me, if you will give it a go, if you will trust me, I promise you I got this covered. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. He wants to remove the obstacle so that he can do in us and through us more than we could imagine. Let me show you what Proverbs 3 says. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all of your produce or fruit. And as I begin to think through of what tithe looks like, Proverbs tells us this, that I'm to honor God from my wealth, from all that I have, all of the first fruits that I can have. Here's here's what this is. As I begin to honor God, as I begin to put him first, As I begin to look at what I have is is not really mine, thank you. As I see the Lord has blessed me with with radishes, ten little bushels of radishes. And you know what, God, you get one of those, and then there will be nine more that God gives me to keep. And the more that God places in my hand, the more that I can be faithful and honor him. You see, because the tithe represents the simple fact that I will trust you. That, God, I will give you the very first and the best that you've given me, and I will trust you for the rest. That if you're giving me 90, I can trust you to pay attention in this area. 
And that as you gift me with bananas, as you gift me with red peppers. Now, you know that I didn't pick some of this stuff out because there's green things and vegetables. I'm not sure God really wants all this, but just teasing. But we'll see this concept over and over again. And here's what happens. The more I'm faithful, the more God continues to put on my table. And even when Jesus asks us for broccoli, you know what? I can, I can give him all the broccoli. Because you know I'm not trying to keep any percentage of that. But this is about trust. This is about where will I allow my trust to land? Because this right here, giving this before I see the rest of it, recognizes whose it is in the first place. This symbolizes that, God, if it's all yours, I'm going to do exactly what you're telling me to do, and there you go. I believe you for all of it. You see, sometimes we struggle when it comes to this area of giving, when it comes to tithing. We begin to think, God, I, I can't tithe. I don't have enough to tithe. I need all that I have. Fear tells us that we can't. This is so precious. I can't give this away. God, if you would give me more, then I could start tithing. Right now, I just don't, I don't have very much. The problem with that is this. If you can't tithe off of the $10 that God has given you right now, you are not going to tithe. I am not going to tithe off of $100. It's just the truth. If I can't find the trust and the faith to say, God, here you go, here's the one. He's not going to give me more to trust me with. Put it, I could put it to you like this. Ooh, oranges. Sorry, you guys know I have attention issues. I'll put it to you like this. If I was trusting If I was trusting Cliff and Mr. Rupert and Roy here to take care of my family while I was away, and I was giving each of them $100 a week to give to my family and say, you know what, you don't even have to give them the 100 Make sure that my family has $10 every week out of each $100 that I give you. And after a couple of weeks, I go to check and see how things are working and how it's moving, and, and I find out that Cliff has, has been giving not just 10 he's been giving 20 and then Roy, Roy has been taking care of the $10 every week. He's been very faithful. And then I look and find out from Mr. Rupert that he hasn't been doing $10. He hasn't even been doing $5. He's been giving them one. But I asked him to take care of my family. I, I asked him to take what I was already giving him and give to my family. You know what I'm probably going to do? I'm probably going to stop giving it to Mr. Rupert and I'm going to give it to the two guys that I found faithful. As we are more faithful with what God has given us, we can see that it's not just, he's not asking for so much. I mean, look at the difference in the tables. Justin, look at, look at how much he is trusting me with. And at times, I, I sell God short with how much he's actually putting in my hands. The truth of the matter is this. God can cause our finances to go further than any of our cleverness can. It's just the truth that 90% of this blessed goes further than 100% of it with my brain working behind it. And this is why it doesn't make sense. How can that happen? It doesn't add up mathematically. That's because God is God and I am not. And when I am faithful, he promises to take care of everything else. 
God will supply all of my needs according to his riches. Man, I'm going to eat that later. Man, we still got more. All right, you guys keep bringing it out. Chris, please put the stuff on, on Jesus' table for me. Here's the simple truth. Start where you're at. Start where you're at. Some of us will tell God, well, when I get a little bit extra, then I'll start. Start where you're at. It's, that's how my heart begins to grow. Instead of waiting until I have more, that's not how it works. We, we talked a few weeks ago, we saw different parables, and it's about being faithful with what you have that leads us to being faithful with more. Obedience begins to make my heart faithful. And as I begin to be faithful, that moves me closer to being generous. You see, a faithful heart can easily be turned into a generous heart. If you have your Bibles, flip to John chapter 12. I'm going to share a couple of different thoughts with you um, this morning. John chapter 12, it's Passover, and Jesus is back in Bethany. He's visiting some of his friends. They're having dinner. Mary's there. Martha's there. She's serving just like normal. Lazarus is there. And as the dinner begins to unfold, this is what happens. Come on, Jesus, man. Check this out. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. I just want to pause right there for a moment. I, I don't know if you noticed this. When we see Mary, Lazarus' sister in Scripture, the three times that we see her named, she's always at Jesus' feet. I find that remarkable. Let's keep going. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. Since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself, and Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. So dinner is going on, and as it unfolds, I wonder at what point did all of this begin to stir inside of Mary? I wonder as maybe the food was being brought out, or maybe as she just began to look around the room, she began to take inventory that Jesus was here. And because he was here, she began to think of all of the things that he had done for her and done for her family. You know, it wasn't too long ago that the last time Mary was at Jesus' feet, was because her dear brother Lazarus had died. And before he died, she wrote a letter, and they, they asked for Jesus to come, and they said, the one that you love is sick. Can you come and heal him? But he didn't show up until after Lazarus has died. And Mary's at Jesus' feet then, weeping from her loss. But today she finds herself at Jesus' feet, looking up at her brother alive. Because that wasn't the end of the story. Lazarus didn't stay in the grave. He was resurrected. And maybe she began to think of all of the things that God had done for her, the miracles that she had seen, the love that she'd experienced from Jesus. What can I do? What, is there anything I can do to express my love for Jesus? And she remembers her oil. 
And she begins to anoint Jesus. In other, tale, in other tellings of this story, it doesn't just say that she anointed his feet, but she anointed all of him. She anointed his head and his feet. She gave him the very best that she had, and it just so happened to be an expensive bottle of perfume. Almost a year's worth of wages, a, a perfume that was not, was not easy to come by. She couldn't just go and replace it tomorrow. It meant too much. And normally she would only break it out and use a little bit at a time so that it would last. But today, today her heart was full. And because her heart was full of gratitude, she gave everything that she had that day because gratitude cultivates generosity. And as Mary poured out this offering to Jesus, this love for Jesus, the house was filled with the fragrance that everyone would remember from that day forward. That thousands of years later, we would be talking about the offering that she offered in that house. Because that's what generosity does. Generosity changes the atmosphere for everyone around and everyone involved. It doesn't just affect me, it affects those around me. It doesn't just change me. Whoa. And as she does this, Judas pops up. Can I tell you this, that as you become more generous, there will be people that show up and remind you that it makes no sense what you're doing. There will be people that will criticize you for how generous you have become, for what you are giving, for how you love Jesus, but they don't know what you went through to get to that place. They don't know the tears that you cried, the, the hurt that you've experienced, the pain that you've went through. They don't know the death that you've walked through. And they also don't know the love that you've experienced, the heart change that you're walking through, the joy that you now feel, the peace that is now available to you. They don't know the life that Jesus has returned to you. And all of that is because of Jesus. And Mary shows us that gratitude cultivates generosity. And you might think like me, it's easy to be generous. Mary had this huge expensive thing to give. Of course she could be generous with that. But that's not my story. I don't really have something that cost a year's worth of wage around that I could give. Well, let me take you to another story. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, man, this is an incredibly packed chapter. Tons of things going on. John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus sends the disciples out on a missions trip. They're coming back and, and telling all of the things that happened. And Jesus said, we need to get away. Let's debrief. Let's rest. And as that's happening, the crowds spot Jesus. And they begin to run ahead of him. And as he gets out of the boat to this remote place that they thought they were going to get away from everyone, everyone is already there. And as Jesus sees them, he has compassion on them. And he begins to teach and that day, Jesus was a little bit long-winded. And we know that because of verse 35. Check this out. Late in the afternoon, the disciples came and said to him, this is a remote place. Jesus, you've been talking a long time. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. And if all of us were there, we would respond this way, with what? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. 
If we were there, we would do exactly what the disciples did. We would let Jesus know that we've calculated how much money it would take to just give someone a piece of bread. And we would say, that's almost a year's worth of work right there. Jesus, how do we come up with that? Where do we get all of that? You have no idea what you're asking, Jesus. Can't we just send everybody? Tell them to go home. Send them away. We can't do this. It's too big. We don't have enough inventory. We just, we don't have, you checked again. We got nothing. Send them away. What you're asking for is too much, and I don't have enough to make a dent into what you're asking me to do. See, the problem here isn't provision, it's perspective. Not one of them asked Jesus what to do but they told Jesus what they could do. See, they were looking at the issue. They were looking at the problem. They weren't looking at the provision or the provider. All they were focused on is what they could not do. And maybe, just maybe God wants us to stop looking at what is hindering us and what struggles we have in front of us. And maybe he wants us to look to him. You see, at times like this, we try to figure out how God is going to provide for our needs before he does it. And more times than not, we're wrong. God, can you do this? You can. God, I got a plan. I got a plan. I need you to follow this plan. And more times than not, our plan is way off. And because our plans and our thoughts are way off, sometimes the way that we think God should show up keeps us from actually experiencing the way that God wants to show up. But generosity, generosity shifts my perspective to the provider. It begins to make me look at the one who can take care of everything, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the one who created it all, the one who entrusts me with it all. It brings me back to a faith that doesn't have to have proof to believe that God can move, that it doesn't have to make sense to give me something substantial to stand on. It brings me back maybe to the faith of a child. Because in John's gospel, it says that after Jesus said to go and find what is around, they found a small boy that had a Lunchable with him. Five loaves, two fish. You know, the gospels talk about the loaves that he had, and the loaves, the type of bread that he had indicates that his family was poor. That the bread that he had wasn't bread that rich people had. This was a bread that struggling people had. Five small loaves, two small fish. And in that day, as they were asking, he could have simply kept what he had to himself because it was his. It was his lunch. Someone packed that lunch for that boy to eat that day. And he could have said, you know what? Everybody's hungry, but all I have is what I have and I'm hungry too. I feel like this is for me. But I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the desperation on the disciples' face as they asked what he had. Maybe he caught a glimpse of the look that Jesus had in his eye. Or maybe he had heard that Jesus does things that no one else can do. And maybe he thought that it wasn't about the amount of food that he had, but who he would give the food to. Here's what happens. 
In verse 41 of Mark chapter 6, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up towards heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, and a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. We have the number of men, and we know that because Jesus had them sit down and be organized. But we also know that he didn't count the men, or he didn't count the women and the kids. Some people believe that that day Jesus fed up to 20,000 people, that that's how the crowd would have been. 5,000 is a lot. Five loaves, two fish. You know what's crazy is I wonder what Peter was thinking when he handed Jesus a whole loaf and Jesus gave him back a half. I wonder if he thought, you're minusing Jesus. This is not how this is going to work. What do you want me to do with this half now? I gave you a whole and you're only giving me half. See, but the miraculous begins to happen when we stop measuring our resources and start relying on God. Because notice that the miracle didn't begin to really multiply until they began to give what was given to them. And in order for it to multiply, in order for us to experience Jesus multiplying what we have, it first has to be given to him. It has to be placed in his hand. Notice the order. It was given to Jesus. He blessed it. He gave it back. And then as they distributed it, it multiplied. In order to be blessed, it has to be given. In order for it to multiply, I have to put it in use. I have to get what God has given me blessed and say, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. Here you go. Here's yours. Here's yours. Here's yours. And it's not relying on my resources. It's not relying on my smarts. It's only relying on the miraculous power of who Jesus is. My not much. My sack lunch. My lunchable. My barely scraping by. If I give that to God, it can be used not just to meet needs, but to surpass them. If I'm willing to give it to God, it has the capable power, if God is in it, to keep going and going and not just feed one person or 50 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, but it will open the door for thousands of people to experience the life-giving power of who Jesus is. That's how it works because here's the last thing you need to know. Generosity crowds the kingdom. My generosity will crowd the kingdom if I give God what is already in my hands and he blesses it and I'm willing to use what he's given back to me. Generosity will crowd the kingdom. It will do more than I could ever hope to imagine. And if God can do more with that, what else can he do? What could he do if all of us begin to to respond when he sparks us to be generous? What could he do in this place, in this city, in this world? What could be changed? What difference could be made if we trust in the one who put it in our hands in the first place? Maybe our generosity will take people from a place of desperation to a place of satisfaction. Maybe it won't just be their their stomachs that are filled. Maybe it will be their hearts and their lives that are filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, because generosity will begin to change the way I see what's in my hands. That it's not just my paycheck. 
It's ministry. That what I give turns into lives being saved, things changing for people, the gospel being given out over and over again. I begin to not give to get, but I get to give so that I can be a part of what God is doing next. I can be a part of generosity crowding the kingdom. I can understand that generosity changes eternity. There are people that you and I will never meet that when we get into heaven, they will say, you know what? There was a missionary that your church supported. And I never met you, but I just want to say thank you. Because your generosity changed my eternity. Your generosity has crowded the kingdom. There will be people in heaven because we allow ourselves to be generous. We allow the heart of God to become our own heart. And I love our church. And I love that God is asking us to follow him, to trust him, to allow him to cultivate generosity in our hearts so that we can see generosity change eternity and crowd the kingdom. See, because when I look at the gospel, I see irrational generosity. I see a world that was lost in hurting, that sin was running rampant, and there was a gap in between where God was and where we were. And then there was a plan hatched. And if we're all honest, that plan makes absolutely no sense. There's probably not one of us in here that would give our kids to save the lives of people that we don't know. It'd be hard for me to send my son Jordan knowing that his life would be taken for people that maybe would never even love him. It doesn't make sense. But God gave the very best that he had. He gave all that he could. Why? Because he loves us. And it doesn't have to make sense for it to have power. It doesn't have to make sense for it to take care of everything. When I look at the gospel, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would God do that? Because he loves us. And even though it doesn't make sense, it seems to be his heart. That he would give his life so that you and I could truly experience what life was really about. Romans 8 tells us that if God didn't spare his own son that he's not going to hold anything back. If he's already given us the very best, there's not much that he won't do for us. Would you stand with me? You know, maybe today you came in wondering if you were important. Wondering if you were valuable. Maybe you felt like you didn't have much to offer, much to give. But suddenly when I began to talk about Jesus' love, the love that God has, that he would send his very best for each and every one of us, something began to stir on the inside. And it doesn't make sense because other people haven't loved you and you've been let down and you've been hurt but today you there's something different happening in your heart 
that maybe today is a day that the whisper of God that says that I love you is met with your open heart. That today you would be willing to trust him and give him everything that you have. That today you would say, man, I want the life that Jesus died to give me. So I'm going to pray and I would ask for all of us to repeat this prayer. There's nothing magical in these words, but the difference is made in your heart. That if you mean these words, Jesus can change everything. It doesn't have to make sense, but this morning you can experience his power and his presence in a different way. You can experience life in a way that never made sense to you before, but today it can. So would you repeat after me and say, Jesus, I need you today. Take all of me. But I believe that you died just for me to save me from myself. Thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for giving me new life today. Thank you for giving me hope, purpose, and victory today. God, I'll follow you the rest of my life. You have all of me, everything that I am, everything that I hope to be. It's yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, in a, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you prayed that this morning, whether you've prayed it a million times or today was the first, we want to celebrate that with you today because I believe that God has answered someone else's prayer that was prayed before today, that was praying for one more opportunity for someone to come into the kingdom. So on the count of three, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to raise your hand and we're going to celebrate with you. So when I get to three, I'm going to count to one. God loves you. He wants to change everything for you too. You will never be the same again. Three, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand this morning. Come on, let's celebrate, church. We got people entering the kingdom of heaven. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.